This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about Naughty Nancy. No, this isn't a story about a bad girl. This is a truth about a great place to eat and hang out. Naughty Nancy's Food Shack, located at 700 Eldridge Street in the downtown Clearwater area, is a quaint little place nestled under some huge oak trees serving great food and drink and a wonderful, friendly atmosphere. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. They have 10 daily specials as well as many different styles of cooking from Cajun, New England, Country Gourmet, and even Short Order, prepared just the way you want it. So check out this groovy little dew drop in right on the trail. So jog up to her front door, ride up on your bicycle, drive up in your car, or pull up on your motorcycle, and visit my friend Nancy and place your order. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. Hey, mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars and you might get a free drink. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. There are two types of people in this world. Those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. What is the crisis, Bob? My ex-wife loves him. Just when patient Bob Wiley was making progress. Dr. Marvin, you can help me. Dr. Leo Marvin was making other plans. As of this afternoon, I'm taking my family on vacation until Labor Day. But Leo's vacation... Dr. Marvin! ...is about to become... Dr. Marvin! ...Bob's therapy. Oh, I really appreciate this. I do not see patients on vacation, ever. We just got to figure out a way to work around your schedule. Two to four, three to five... Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I don't want any of you letting Bob into this house. He's a sweet guy. Could we invite Bob over for dinner? Would you like some more chicken, Bob? Mmm. Mmm. Mmm, Faye, this is so scrumptious. Mmm. Will you stop that, please? Now, while Bob is getting better. Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm a schizophrenic. And so am I. <laughs> Leo is taking a turn for the worse. Oh, you're angry. No, I don't get angry. Well, you're upset. Relax, Leo. Take a vacation. I'm on vacation. Touchstone Pictures presents Bill Murray. Hello, I'm Bob. Would you knock me out, please? And Richard Dreyfus. Don't you understand? This man is crazy! In a totally insane comedy. You've turned a perfectly peaceful house into an 
He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone. Is this some radical new therapy? You see? What about Bob? What are you doing with the rifle? Death therapy, Bob. It's a guaranteed cure. <laughs> Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the way back machine. We enter the way back and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. Hi, this is Jay Leno and you're listening to my favorite nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. I'm waving. Hey, Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. You waving to me, buddy? I'm waving, waving to you. I'm waving at the new guys. Who are the new guys? Introduce the new guys real quick. <laughs> tell us who the new guys are. What's their show? What's their show? It's just before mine. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, just, just tell Why them. do they just... They, I, don't, I just met them. What what in, in a nutshell, what do we got? It's like all current events and yeah. local politics. And, and they're college kids, right? Yeah, they're just young kids. And they're Christians and they're they conservatives. Love. That's a good thing. It's a family show. You can't complain with young kids doing what they love. That's true. As That's long true. as you're not getting in trouble doing it. That's right. So, you know, we got this. All right, good luck to you guys. Anyway, hey, <laughs> what did I say? Oh, yeah, run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com and you can see us live here at the studio. But don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, uh, my Facebook page, Gulfstream Motorsports, and my other Facebook page, which is Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. What a weekend! What a weekend! You know what? I am so excited because it is like car stuff galore. I know, I know. There's sports stuff in the World Series starts tonight and chris is probably gonna throw a baseball through the window here and hit me in a few seconds but uh chris who's playing tonight the world series is it uh my team out of san francisco and some other team really your team are you the coach no but are you the general manager <laughs> your team no but i'm from the bay area so i can say that even though i'm not even into sports yeah since when do you even know that the world series starts tonight because they were talking about it on the radio today, and I listen once in a while. The only thing you know station. about sports is what I tell you. That's exactly right. So who's playing tonight? Tell our listeners. The San Francisco Giants are on the road at Kansas City to face the Kansas City Royals. Okay, do you have a team that you like? Um, I don't really care who wins, but okay. I've got the Giants winning in five. Okay, so that means that uh, if I were to KC bet, loses, yeah, and not even, in other words, you're saying five in a row? No, 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 five games. It's best out of seven. Oh, it's best out of seven, right? Okay. So I'm gonna say the Giants will win in five games. In five games. In other okay. words, they'll win four games to one. Okay. So yeah, that's it. Take that for what it's worth. Take that to the bank. I think say? everybody's got the Royals tonight, and I don't think they have a chance because it's a home game. Well, no, the Royals are home, so everybody's kind of on that bandwagon. Gotcha. But I've got Madison Bumgarner on the road in a World Series game before I've got James Shields, who's never pitched. This is the biggest game he's ever pitched in. He pitched in Tampa for seven or eight years. You know, the biggest game he saw, well, I think he saw a World Series game there. Um, But this is different. It's different. He was traded to Kansas City to get them to the postseason. And not only did he help get them to the postseason, they're in the World Series. And I don't I you definitely didn't know this. Not only are the Royals did they make the playoffs, they haven't lost a game this entire postseason. Oh really? They won the play the wild card game, which was a one game, whoever wins moves on. They right. won that game. Yeah. Then they in the ALDS, yeah. it was the best out of five. Uh-huh. They won three in a row. Okay. 
So that they swept. Then they went to the ALCS, which is best out of seven, and they won four in a row. So in the postseason this year, they've won eight in a row. They're eight and zero. They haven't lost a single game. Well, good for them. Well, maybe they'll. Uh, who knows? We don't know. Maybe they'll lose to maybe. Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> I just told you this, Robert. Come okay. on. Okay. Okay. Well, then, of course, you know all the names you mentioned. You don't know any of them. I don't know any. James of them. So, Shields. You probably know James Shields. No, no, no. But if I said to you, Phil Hill, Dan Gurney, Bob Bond, Ron Carroll, Shelby, Roger Penske, any of those names ring a bell? Roger Penske. I mean, Roger Penske. Okay. Jay Leno. <laughs> Jay Leno. Cammy Edelbrock. Right. Cammy Edelbrock. I got. I mean, right. I, I got the last Edelbrock and Penske. I got this. You got that. Okay. Can we get an answer? Can we get an Al answer up on the show? And you then I got we, this. We, we'll we do need the to, He's actually going to be a guest on our radio show. We're going to get Al answer. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. We'll okay. talk about it. Let's do it. Okay. Hey, anyway, well, let me talk about some of the stuff that. Uh, that's going on here. Anyway, this past weekend, uh, you heard me talk about it last week. It was the uh, over in Lakeland it was the Lake Mirror Classic. But actually, what started the weekend off on Saturday morning is the DuPont Registry always has their cars and coffee the third Saturday of each month. So I wasn't sure whether I was going to be able to make it because that usually starts early in the morning, and I wasn't sure how early I was going to have to be over at uh, Lakeland because I was going to set up. But unfortunately, what happened was is everybody that was supposed to help me man the booth, so to speak, had something else to do. So then it just left me alone. So it's kind of hard to man the booth and then walk the field and work the field at the same time. Because, you know, a lot of times what I do is I walk around, introduce myself, talk to people. And uh, since I'm hired as an independent PR guy, sometimes I promote festivals of speed, Hollywood car auctions, uh, Amelia Island sometimes. And, and of course, our business and our radio show and stuff, Gulfstream Motorsports and Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So anyway, I just uh, decided not to set up. So what it did allow me to do is it allowed me to go to uh, Cars and Coffee in the morning. So I said hi to the usual crowd over there. And they had a ton of people. They had a lot of cars there. There was probably, again, close to 250 cars or so that showed up. I mean, both sides of the DuPont Registry headquarters building was just stacked with cars. But what's funny is there was a comment that was made, and I thought it was kind of interesting, and I got a big kick out of it. And a friend of mine who's into vintage cars, he walks up to me and, and we hadn't seen each other in a while and, and he goes and says, yeah, we're going over to this side of the building. I said, why? He says, all right, so what difference does it make? He said, well, the cars on this side have character. I said, oh, I get it. I liked it. That was kind of a neat description. The cars on this side have character. Those are more the vintage cars, uh, the more mainstream cars and, you know, and, and a good selection of cars, a good variety of cars. And when you walk on the other side of the building, you have, and not that I'm not a Porsche guy because I'm a Porsche guy, but you had a lot of Porsches, you had a lot of Ferraris, you had a lot of uh, there was a lot of those uh, GTRs out there and just, you know, you're, you're kind of like mainstream uh, kind of late model exotics, Miatas and things of that nature and, and whatever else was there. In fact, you know, sadly, I don't really pay that much attention to cars past 1972. So I didn't really know what they were. But my comment in response to his comment with cars of character was I said, it reminds me of a big cookie sheet, you know, and then if you look at a cookie sheet, you know, when you're when you're putting you're, you're baking your cookies, you just kind of like squeeze the cars out of a tube and they all look alike. You just go. We need to get that sound effects. I have to get that one. Got it somewhere. <laughs> anyway, so all the cars looked identical. So really, they don't. I mean, they're nice and people like them and people get into them. And I and I and I appreciate it. And it's and I'm glad they're in the sport and the hobby and stuff like that. But they just they they don't really have a uniqueness to them, you know? I mean, they all look kind of like wedges and doorstops and and slippery and cool like that. There was, however, one really cool car on that side that was a nice, a gorgeous, in fact, I put it on our Facebook page. It was a beautiful 1971 Pantera, black car, and instead of having a 351 Cleveland in it like they typically do from the factory, this one had an aluminum block 427. 
I wouldn't say aluminum block, but definitely had aluminum heads on it. So my guess is it's probably at least a 427 cubic inch small block Windsor motor, which, you know, that's that's the, the, the uh, a Windsor is about three, 250 to 300 pounds, you know, especially with aluminum heads, lighter than a Cleveland. Cleveland's a heavy motor. It's almost as heavy as a big block Chevrolet. It weighs like, you know, 700, 680, almost 700 pounds, where a big block Chevrolet, I think, weighs around 750 or something like that. So a, like a small block 289 is like 500, just under 500 pounds. So that's quite a bit of weight savings. And then the rule of thumb is when you're drag racing, 100 pounds is equivalent to a tenth of a second at the other end of the quarter mile, you know, at the 1320. So, but anyway, that was a beautiful car. The license plate was quick cat, and rightfully so. I mean, this guy had a very, very beautiful car, very tastefully done, black car, bodywork excellent, paintwork finished, was excellent, gaps on the car, excellent. I mean, a stunning, stunning, stunning car. I mean, that car was definitely a two plus, a one minus. I mean, it was almost concourse ready. The other car that they had there that was kind of interesting, you don't see very often, was a vintage 80s concourse. Now, I mean, concourse, uh, Lamborghini Countach. You don't see those very often. And, and I'm a huge Lamborghini fan, but I like the 60s Lamborghinis. When they came out with the first-generation Countach, man, that's a decent-looking car. But when they came out with the second one, it didn't really excite me. When they came out with the... Uh uh, what they come out with after that? Gee, I can't even. I lost track of them. But the the ones that they have out now, the 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 Murcia Lago, I thought was a good looking car. The Aventador is a good looking car. The Gallardo, 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 something like that. That's basically. Uh, Chris is laughing because I can't even pronounce the name right. Gallardo, you know what? You look it up. And you pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> I, but, th- I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Galato. Galato? Is that what it is? A Lamborghini Galato. Maybe that's I, it. I, I, uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, no, no. You might be right. There might be an L in there. <laughs> Galato. You know, it's like, you might as well just call it gelati. See, it's Italian for ice. Like, what are, we, are you Italian? No. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. Why? No, I just well, I just couldn't remember because you were correcting me there, and I thought because that's a spicy meatball. That's a spicy meatball, right? And then it is, it is something that all Italians do is correct people. That's true. That's true. <laughs> they interrupt and they correct. <laughs> they interrupt and they correct. And they use their hands a lot. I do use my hands. Maybe I am Italian. Maybe you do because have Italian. I use my hands a lot. And because I'm in the industry that I'm in, I have a tendency to correct people and interrupt people. That's yeah, okay. But I, I mean, I feel like that's just the nature of our, of what we do for a living. Kinda, yeah. You know, well, we, you do it for a living. I do it for a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. There's a difference. Da, da, da. Anyway, uh, but we got an interesting guest for you coming on. Let's see. I think we got something on the turntable. We're gonna have a usual commercial. But let me give you a rundown of what's going on here, real quick. Or do you want to go to a song? Um, okay. Let me get back to talking about uh, Mirror Lake before I forget. That is an amazing event. I got to tell you, you know, what's really cool is we got this amazing setting in downtown Lakeland, okay? And what's really cool is just set all around the lakeside there. And usually like around uh, the middle of the afternoon, they have the wooden boats come out, which is kind of really cool. You know, some vintage Chris Crafts and stuff like that. And maybe if you're lucky, you might see an, an exotic Italian Riva or something like that. But they kind of buzz around, you know, just kind of idling around. Then they get up to speed, which is really cool. And then typically they always have the amphibian cars. Uh, running around in there. But this year, they didn't have any, so uh, that was kind of unusual. But anyway, so like around the, the lakeside, when you get to the grassy area, that's where they keep the, the, the creme de la creme cars. That's where the Porsches are, the Mercedes, the Rolls Royces, the really cool cars. This year, they featured two, not one, but two Bugattis. They had a 1937 Type 37, which was a really cool-looking exotic kind of car, especially for the time. And then they also had a Type 30 uh, two-seater Roadster, which was kind of almost looked like a Model A Ford a little bit, you know, like an early 32 Ford, but it was kind of cool, and it just had a nice, unassuming look, but it was kind of like their little hot rod version. It had a V8 in it, it had a straight 8, excuse me, and uh, had these really cool disc wheels on it. 
But uh, for 1930 standards, that was a pretty cool-looking piece. So, uh, And I talked to the couple at length for a while, and uh, they were from Ohio, and they had a number of cars, including a 356 Porsche. Speaking of 356 Porsches, there was uh, about three of those there. There was a, uh, actually two this year. There was a 59 Cabriolet, and then there was a 57 or 58 Speedster, and then there was a nice 911. And talking about Mercedes-Benzes, there was a couple of uh, mid-70s W113 cars. They're the SLs, like 250, 280s. They had a couple of those there. Larry Ligas uh, from Predator Motorsports, he was there. He brought his since high school-owned SP250 Daimler. Now, that is a wicked car. You want to see something really, really cool. That car had a little small, little 2.5-liter Hemi motor in it. And it was kind of like a fiberglass sports car. And it was kind of a cross between... Oh, I don't know, a Triumph TR4 and uh, maybe an MGA and uh, and a whole bunch of British cars in the middle. So it was a really cool piece. Another good friend of mine, he was there. He had his little Woosley race car. That was a very rare car, unusual, right-hand drive, British cars, kind of neat. Uh, up at the top of the hill, Chris from Lincoln Land was there. He had a 64 Mercury station wagon, a nice car. Another gentleman had a beautiful 63 Grand Prix. Gorgeous, gorgeous car. Just kind of took me back in the time. You know, at the top of the hill, they had kind of like the American classics. They had a 64 SS Impala. They had Chris's station wagon. They had the 64 Grand Prix. They had a beautiful 64 Buick Riviera. Just really neat American iron. Then when you walk along the lakeside, if you come down to the bottom of the hill a little bit, uh, right in the backdrop there is kind of like where they give the awards presentation and stuff. And the guest of honor was Jack Telnack. And Jack Telnack was uh, really responsible for the Fox Body Mustang. But he also became the head of Ford Global Design. So he was like the chief designer for Ford Motor Company for a number of years, for like four decades, three and a half, four decades. So he was there. He was the guest of honor. And uh, But anyway, as I'm walking along the uh, promenade there, as they call it, um, there's just uh, an array of really nice cars. It was it's kind of like Muscle Car Row. You know, they had your Hemi GTX sitting there. You had your Shelby. You had your uh, Boss 351 Mustang. You had a couple of 69 Camaro RSs. Then when you get to like the little... Uh, circle area there there was uh some nice cool vintage cars there there was a vintage ferrari there 250 there was a vintage citroen 2cv that was kind of a nice car there was the izetta that's there just about every year um and then there was an unusual car there was a 1959 mercedes 220s the guy kind of set up like a rally car that was kind of cool and then as you walk around on the other side you'll find you're running into some guys that have some british cars there's some beautiful uh, Triumph TR4s. There was a couple TR6s there. There was some more foreign cars. There was a couple of Lancias there. That's kind of unusual, okay? And then as you go further around the lake there, just before you get to the sidewalk that, that uh, kind of runs up to the top of the hill, there was uh, a couple of nice old trucks, you know? There was uh, like an old popcorn truck. That was kind of cool. Some uh, 70s Ford trucks, which those are getting popular now. The good old Ford F100s and 150s. A couple C10 Chevrolets, 68 to 72. Um, there was a few of those there, so those are kind of popular. And uh, then as you walk your way up the top of the hill, it's kind of like where all the Mustangs were. So they had every Mustang from 1965 to the current model year cars. They had it broken up in classes. So some beautiful 65 coupes, fastbacks, convertibles, actually 65 to 73. Some nice cars. There was a couple of Boss 302s. There was uh, no Boss 429. I didn't see a Boss 429. But then when you walk into town, the streets are just lined with cars right around the park. So you went down one street, and you had nothing but foreign cars. You went down another street, and you had nothing but American 50s classics. You went down another street, and you had basically your pony cars, your Camaros, your Firebirds, your Mustangs, your Challengers. So there's just a lot of cool cars there. And it's an all-day event, and it's an all-day affair. And it's brought to you by our good friends at Haycock Insurance. So if you need collective car insurance, give my good buddy Pete Doraguzzi a call at Haycock Insurance. Okay? Be sure and check out their website, Haycock Insurance, in Lakeland, Florida. 
Back to the grassy knoll, there was another car there that was uh, really outstanding, and that uh, belonged to a friend of mine, uh, Paul Securis out of Lakeland. He restores E-Type Jags, and he's got an absolutely award-winning, beautiful Burgundy E-Type Jag, and he takes that car all over the country and is probably one of the nicest E-Type Roadsters, which is probably the quintessential, most beautiful sports car ever made. Timeless, the E-Type Jag. Just a really, really cool car. That's my story about Lakeland and the Lake Mirror Classic. And you guys need to check the uh, website. The event takes place every year in Lakeland, Florida, about this time of year, the end of October. And it is absolutely spectacular. It's fun for everybody. So if you like any kind of car, guaranteed it will be there. Okay. We got something on the tournament table there? It's your world. I'm just living in it here, Robert. We got uh, a song ready. Okay, let's start something. Let's right, just let's make that it. make that little whirly twirly spinny thingy. Now what did dis- what did disc jockeys call that thing? Uh the record skip. Record skip? Like you want is that what you're talking about? Well, I don't know. No, not a record skip, but I mean there's a turntable. What's the what's a modern day term for a turntable? What do disc jockeys call it? Uh, well, let's just call it the spinny thin for argument's sake. But anyway, so what do we got here? We got hey, this is your kind of music. This is, yeah, These your ear. Wallflowers. It's uh, 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 Bob Dylan's son, right? Yeah. Um, okay. What's, what's the name of this his, one? Headlight. Uh, one headlight. One headlight. Yeah. That's, uh, well, my car has name? one headlight right now. One of them's not working. Does it? Yeah, it does. What happened? I don't know. It's a wire came loose or a, pl- or a yeah, bulb right. Went you rear-ended someone, didn't you? No, 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 no. You no, rear-ended no. a Lamborghini Gallardo, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We got. A great guest for you later on, and enjoy the wallflowers. What?
This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for takeout order at 727-501-9090 that's 727-501-9090 they truly have the best smoking barbecue in town oh and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce that's the rib shack barbecue in downtown largo 727-501-9090 i'm telling robert from nostalgic radio and car sent you Bob Bondurant. I won the World Manufacturers Championship in the Ford Cobras in 1965. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. Thank you, Bob Bondurant. And uh, if you caught that little sound effect, that was a 1964 Ferrari 250 GTO. And our guest later in the show was actually driving that car. And that's a video and an audio from that very car. So I was kind of... Excited to have that. Very good. I like that. Chris, you're on the ball. I think you deserve a big round of applause because Chris is doing a great job tonight. <laughs> very, very good, Chris. Okay. Let me give you a Thank run. you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> You'll be here all week. Oh, and now we need the Mike Wazowski thing from uh, from whatever that, that movie was, uh, Monsters, Inc. But uh, <laughs> I don't know that one. Is that before my time? Oh, no, Monsters, Inc. I Monsters, know. Inc. Yeah, yeah, that was the one know. where uh, Billy Crystal did that. Like, I'm a I'll Toy a, Story guy. You're a Toy Story guy? Oh, yeah, okay. I was a Toy Story guy. Okay. Hold it right there. I am Buzz Lightyear, and I'm in charge of this detachment. To infinity and beyond. I, Mike Wazowski. Hey, thanks a lot. I'll be here all week. Remember to tip your waitresses. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this weekend, what do we got? We got Hutchison Island, Hilton Head all next week. The big concourse is the end of next week. Hutchison Island Vintage Races is this weekend. Uh, Born to Ride Jam, that's on the uh, that's the end of the month. That's next weekend. My big favorite show, SEMA. Okay, that starts in two weeks. In the middle of next month, we've got our good friends at HSR putting on the 24-hour, kind of like a little 24-hour Le Mans race over at Daytona. So it's the Vintage Races at Daytona. Moultrie, Georgia Swap Meet, Zephyr Hill Swap Meet, Turkey Rod Run. Festivals of Speed, the first weekend in December, okay? And we will have tickets, so be tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars for the call-in giveaways for Festivals of Speed tickets. And then, of course, we're still working on it, and there's a very good possibility in the second week in December we will have our own, our very own Cars and Guitar Show with our friends over at Sam Ash. Anyway, we are going to get our guests on here in a few minutes, but uh, I want to say that today is Tuesday, and of course, you know, you hear me talking about my sponsors, the Rib Shack. Today is what we call Rib Shack Tuesday. I always go over there. And then on Sundays, I always get pizza from my good friends at Bella Doors. 
excellent pizza. Be sure and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you'll get some sort of a freebie, okay? You might get a drink. You might get a bag of chips. You might get, uh, who knows what you might get. But anyway, don't forget our friends at uh, Rib Shack. Don't forget our friends at Belladores. Also, if you need your car worked on, don't forget to get my good buddies down there at Forte's Automotive down at Pinellas Park, 727-544-6440, okay? If you miss any of the stuff that I talk about or say on my radio show, be sure and check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget, I have everybody advertised on there. And don't forget to check out our events page because there's a lot of stuff going on and we generally have all this stuff on our events page. And don't forget to check out our Facebook pages because I've always got stuff on there as well. So without further ado, I think Chris is going to go ahead and maybe call our guest, right? And then uh, we're going to play another little song, another little clip. And uh, when Chris gives me the big nod... This oh, one's more your time than my time. My, my, oh, yeah, this is uh, the Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was I liked Led Zeppelin, but I was never really a huge, huge... Like, you know, some guys got really, like, fanatic about Led Zeppelin or fanatic about The Who. The Who and Led Zeppelin, The Who, I never A lot really of them got, still are. Yeah, they still are. In fact, The Who's going on tour this year, I think, right? Yes, and they're playing here... Are they? Uh, I forget where they're playing. In Florida. They're, no, they're playing in, in, Florida, the, in the Bay Area. Oh, in the Bay Area, really? Yeah. I uh, I saw an email about it. I want to say they're playing at like the Straz Center or something. The who? I, no, it's got to be bigger than that. They gotta, they're they going to have a few. Yeah, I, don't, I can't think well, of Well, maybe. You never know. I don't know. But anyway, I know our good friends over at Ruth Eckert Hall, they uh, do a lot of events. In fact, don't forget, I think next weekend is Blast Friday. So check out the Ruth Eckert Hall slash Blast Friday. Uh, venue because they always have cool stuff and of course they have some great stuff going on at the Capitol Theater as well so anyway we got a little Led Zeppelin that's rambling on isn't it yeah okay hey you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars we will be back in a short short with our guest for the evening Slip! 
Your file shows no kills. But to become a double O, it takes two. How did he die? Your contact? Not well. You needn't worry. The second is... Yes. Considerably. The man was Le Chiffre, private banker to the world's terrorists, which would explain how he could set up a high-stakes poker game at Casino Royale in Montenegro. If he loses this game, he'll have nowhere to run. You're the best player in the service. The Treasury has agreed to stake you in the game. But if you lose, our government will have directly financed terrorism. I will be keeping my eye on our government's money and off your perfectly formed house. You noticed. I hope our little game isn't causing you to perspire. It doesn't bother you killing those people. Well, I wouldn't be very good at my job if it did. Heart or girl melted your cold heart yet? James, get the girl out. You're not going to let me in there. You've got your armor back on. I have no armor left. You've stripped it from me. Whatever is left of me. Whatever I am. I'm yours. The only question remains. Will you yield? In time. Hi, this is Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Anyway, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And uh, this gentleman, uh, you may have seen him on TV a few years back, like around 2012. He was involved with racing, and he was involved with a uh, General Motors commercial promoting the new Cadillac ATS. But he's a very successful race car driver in his own right, but he is also the son of the legendary American Formula One racer, Phil Hill. I am delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Derek Hill. Derek, are you there? I am. Hello. How you doing? I don't know if you caught this, if you were listening to the whole show, but there was a little sequence that I always play when I come back. It's like either I'll play like a little uh, hot rod uh, sound effect or a boat racing sound effect or the Jetsons or something corny like that. But the one sound effect that was or ushering us back in the show was a sports car that was shifting. Did you catch that at all by any chance? Uh, I caught a little bit. Was that the Nick Mason? Uh, no, no, no. Just, be, just before that. But you know what it was? It was actually the Ferrari 250 GTO that you did the uh, video of. And what I did is I, I, I got, I, you were shifting it and you were driving that beautiful mountain road or wherever it was, someplace out west. Looks like it was uh, probably Oregon or Washington State or someplace like that. And it was just nice. You were just walking through the gears. It was just a beautiful sound. You know, 12 cylinder just singing away. Yes, oh God, that was a very memorable moment. You know, it's not often you get to drive a car like a 250 GTO, let alone have the owner 
uh, let you shut down the roads and, and kind of just let you have your own way with it. So, yeah, nothing like the sound of a V12 Ferrari. <laughs> Absolutely. Front engine V12 Ferrari, we might add, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So tell yeah, beauty of a car. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that car. Matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and elaborate on that a little, that one a little bit and that little setting that you did, and that yeah, um, people can actually see uh-huh. that on YouTube, right? They can, yeah. They go. It was a. It was actually produced by Petrolicious dot com, and um, yeah, so they can go to Petrolicious or or just go to YouTube and uh, search for two fifty GTO, and and that'll come up. Yeah, it's about an eight minute video. And it, I think it's, it's at this point their second most popular video. I think we're on we're on our way to be their most watched video, um, and we're, yeah, already over a half a million views. So it's pretty awesome. And it was a 250 GTO. It was a 1964, right? It was similar to one that your dad raced at one point. Yeah, in fact, he raced that very car. Um, so they built GTOs from 1962 to 64, and and at the end of the run. They made about 36 of them. They started to body them with this Paninfarina body style, which, you know, sometimes um, it, it sort of lent itself to the styling of the, the new LM that was raced at Le Mans in 64 you know, on the, in the prototypes. But, yeah, it's, it's still the same car underneath, the same skin. And in this particular car was one that my dad had raced at Daytona. Before it had become the Daytona 24 Hours, it was called the Continental 2000 Kilometers, and he, he raced with Pedro Rodriguez, and then they went on to race uh, later in the year at Nassau, and, and won over there as well. Now, your dad had a pretty amazing career. He, how old was your dad when he started racing, and how did he get into racing? And this is the legendary Phil Hill, we might add, in case you just tuned in. And I have Derek Hill, his son, is on the show with us tonight. Yeah, well, um, you know, my dad started getting really interested in cars just actually the mechanics of cars in uh, the late 40s and he he actually started working for a guy as a mechanic for for a midget racing team you know the whole midget racing scene in, in Los Angeles was huge back then and they had speedways all over the place whether it was the Rose Bowl San Bernardino Gilmore Stadium uh, Carpinteria every night of the week practically there was a race going on and so he was at that point starting to attend college at USC. But uh, this guy, Rudy Sumter, asked if he would uh, wrench on his car, and he gladly accepted and spent most of his time doing that. And actually, drivers are getting hurt all the time driving these midgets. So uh, one, uh, they showed up at one race, and one of the drivers got injured, broke a leg, and they asked my dad if he wanted to drive. And so he gave it a go. But he thought midgets were actually kind of ridiculous to drive, very dangerous. And he had seen too much standing there in the pits in the paddock and, and decided to, to go on to other cars. And he was actually working at the time for a place called International Motors in Hollywood, which was uh, importing. They were the sole importers for all these foreign car makes like MG and Jaguar. And he got to see all kinds of crazy new cars. This was just after World War II coming over and so um he got into racing through them essentially he was able to buy a jaguar he was in in england and work doing a service training over there brought back an xk120 brought it back to la and sort of reconfigured it made it more of a race worthy car and uh, just started racing it yeah that's how it all started 
And then, how did you get into Formula One? Whoa. Well, Formula One was, you know, that was a few years down the road. Let's see. He got the, the Jagger in 1950. And, you know, it was only eight years later that he was sitting in the seat of a Ferrari Formula One car. And it was basically in 1954 when he did the Carrera Panamericana road race, which, which ran from 1950 to 1955, you know, to open up the new Pan American highway that they had built from the top of the Mexico down to the bottom. So it was a nice, freshly paved road through Mexico, and they, you know, they had the bright idea of let's run a road race. So my dad had been doing it for about three years, but in 1954, they were in this beautiful 375 millimilia that was entered by a privateer here in the U.S. And um, my dad and, and his co-driver Richie Ginther just blazed a trail on that on that run through Mexico and finished second place overall, which was a huge accomplishment because the uh, the winning car was um, a Ferrari factory driver. And to be able to, you know, do that and have that kind of a performance, it caught the eye of Enzo Ferrari. And he soon thereafter offered my father a drive on the Ferrari sports car team. And, and you know, back then, sports cars and Formula One we're kind of on an equal level, so you had drivers that were um, doing both. You know, you could race Le Mans, you could do Sebring, and then you could jump into Formula One and do the Formula One races. So that's kind of how my dad got into it. Would you say, and and he had a, 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 an amazing career, what year did he win the championship? He won the championship in 1961. 1961, and that was at where? Yeah. Which was uh, the final race? He won it actually in the, the second to last race was the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. Monza. And, um, yep, yep. And actually, they didn't end up doing the last race of the year, which was um, at Watkins Glen. The Ferrari team decided not to send cars over for the last race because in that race in which my father won the championship, which many people know, is his teammate who was just slightly ahead in points going into that race, Wolfgang von Tripps. He crashed on the second lap, uh, killing himself. And, you know, back then, people were dying a lot, yet they were able to keep the race going because no one was ever sure, you know, what the outcome was. And um, sure enough, my father won that race and won, won the championship. But then soon thereafter learned, you know, about the fate of his teammate, which obviously put a little damper on things at the moment. When was, the, when was the last race that your dad raced? The last race, well, the last professional race he did was 1967 uh, in England at Brands Hatch, and it was called the Boac 500, which was uh, a big international sports car race. They had Jackie Stewart in the Ferrari, and my dad was there in a chaparral, and uh, that was the chaparral with the big wing on it, and... Um, you know, it caused quite a sensation because Chaparral was the first car. Jim Hall was the first uh, car manufacturer builder to put a wing on a race car. And um, so there's a whole field of cars. And there's my dad driving this car out in front. had a big old wing on the back. And, you know, when the Chaparrals were able to be reliable, they were sure to win. And um, they, didn't win, they didn't finish very often. They had reliability issues, but... In that race, that was a, 
a win and a very happy one. And, and my father didn't necessarily announce his retirement after, but he just didn't really pursue a, a drive for the next racing season. Interesting, interesting. Now, you're working on doing two things. You're working on a book dedicated to your father, and I think you're working on a film that's going to kind of uh, show the life and times of, of your legendary father, Phil Hill. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the reason I'm so um, knowledgeable about my father's career is just that I've been taking such a look at it and examining it over the last several years. See, my father had started a, uh, a project with all these old pictures he had taken. He, he was sort of into photography while he was a driver. You know, there was a lot of downtime, especially back in the 1950s. You know, here he is as an American kind of traveling solo all over Europe and going to all these interesting places. So he started taking pictures basically just to, you know, have something to show people back home what he was doing. And he was shooting in color Kodachrome. Uh, which was really interesting because the quality of those pictures held up so well and the color quality. And most of the professional photographers of the time were shooting for magazines or newspapers, and they all wanted to shoot in black and white because that's what they could print. So they weren't shooting much in color. So my dad kind of was ahead of the game there and it happened to capture just the most unbelievable images because he actually had a pretty good eye for being an amateur photographer. And of course he had all access to, to all this neat stuff that was going on. So this photo book, as my father got more more and more sick, he had Parkinson's in the end and and he finally sucked him to it in 2008. I started helping him and the guy who, who's been helping us on this project, a guy by the name of Steve Dawson, to get the stories because I mean, here we had over 900 pictures Actually, over a thousand. We've, we weeded it down to 900, and we just wanted to get as much as we could of a story behind each picture. And it sort of built a, a chronological timeline of his career. Of course, there's some gaps in it, times where he wasn't shooting very much. Um, but, you know, we, we're, we basically evolved this into a full blown uh, biography about my father. And it just, it's taken a long time, as these things sometimes do. But uh, we're getting there. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing the end of it. It's going to be a pretty fantastic book. Well, super. We'll have to have you on again, and you can uh, tell us a little bit more about the, the details and stuff. Now, you are a very successful race car driver in, yourself. You're in your own right. So tell us a little bit about your career, because you started out at a young age. Obviously, you had the best mentor on the planet, your dad. So tell us a little bit about uh, your, uh, your growing up with uh, the legendary Phil Hill and your racing background. Yeah, well, you know, my, my dad was a very busy guy, so I kind of was just um, finding my way into racing more or less without him really knowing about it. It was it was the kind of thing where you, when you grow up around a father who's invited back to the... You know, my father's career was over by the time I was born, so he was more into car restoration. So I wasn't necessarily being exposed to motor racing a whole lot, but I had been out to the track enough times and tagged along with him uh, up to Monterey for the, the big uh, historic races every summer. Just to know that that's what he did. And, of course, growing up as a, a young boy, how can you not fall in love with fast cars and, and the whole scene at the racetrack? So naturally, I just started getting into it and just started go-karting. Um, you know, I grew up in Santa Monica in L.A., and there's not a whole lot 
of racing going on around here these days. In fact, just to find your nearest go-kart track, you practically have to drive an hour. So I had to seek out ways to do this. And we, we had some friends down in San Diego, luckily, who were supportive of me coming down there and, and, and racing carts. And that's just the best, best way to get into motor racing, as most people know, especially if you want to get into road racing. And um, it just kind of went from there. Before you know it, I was driving in the Ferrari Challenge. Um, Because of my father's background as a famous driver for Ferrari, it did help open some doors. But, you know, we still had to put together these big sponsorship packages to make it happen. And um, that was really half the battle. And, And even my dad, I must admit, was not the most astute when it came to wheeling and dealing and putting together sponsorship packages. I mean, he was in the car restoration business. He didn't really care to know much about that side of it. But, you know, that's that's where the sport had really evolved to since he had gotten out of it. Now, you, um, I was reading somewhere where you were, did you go to school at Bob Bondurant's or were you actually an instructor at Bob Bondurant's in uh, Phoenix there for a while? Yeah, well, actually, um, I went out to Bob when I, I went to school at University of Oregon for a year. And that's when I decided, well, if I want to get into motor racing, I was 18 years old. I was like, I got to get going into it right away. And so at the end of my first year of college, I made plans to um, sort of get my way out of the college thing and, and, you know, had two parents that weren't all that happy about me doing that. But at the same time, it made sense. So I started driving, racing, and at the same time, I moved out to Phoenix and working for Bob Bondurant. But I was the lowest guy in the totem pole. I mean, I, I was called Fleet Tech. <laughs> and I was changing brake pads, and I was filling cars up with gas and making sure the fluids were topped up every morning. Um, but I got a lot of seat time there, a lot of experience, just because you'd have to take the cars out and bed in the brakes. You know, we were in the 5-liter Mustangs, and um, every now and then we'd get a go out on the track and get in some laps. And I'm telling you, it was like a big playground over there. And when when you got to just sort of have the freedom to, to go out and get some seat time, there was nothing better. Was uh, Terry Borscheller out there when you were there? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Terry was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Terry was there. In fact, the, my fellow Fleet Tech uh, partner there was, uh, was a guy named Buddy Rice that, you know, some people know of because, of course, he won the Indy 500. And, uh, he was quite an established IndyCar driver, um, some years back. Okay. Yeah. What that, so where'd you go after Bob Bondurant then? Well, after Bob Bondurant, I, um, I, I, you know, I, I was there a full winter and kind of as the, I got to midsummer and it was about 120 degrees out on some days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe this isn't, I thought maybe this isn't the place I want to hang around. And, um, I actually, I, I moved back to LA and, and, and it, that point i moved up north to to start working at a at one of my dad's friends body shop and that was that was a terrific experience while i moved into other forms of racing and i started to do the, the formula dodge two liter championship which was part of that whole skip barber racing program and so i did the two liter dodge uh races all over the west coast some midwest uh, races, and then I got into the Barber Dodge Pro Series from there after I won the championship in the two-liter series. And um, so I was able to then blend doing two years of, of uh, Barber Dodge Pro Series 
with uh, also driving for the BMW factory team, which was really a terrific experience. Oh, wow. Now, the, the Barber deal, was that open wheel cars? Or was yeah, it? that was open wheel. Okay, yeah. okay. And then the BMW cars were obviously uh, three series BMW uh, GT cars, right? Yeah, it was the it was the M3 GT version. So I mean, it was a completely stripped down uh, race car. You know, it just it was very much a purpose built built race car. And um, yeah, we had great success with it, winning our class at Sebring, Daytona, uh, Lime Rock, uh, a few and a few other tracks. And it was, it was really. A, and actually, it wasn't that hard. We were racing on the same weekends very often in the Barber Dodge Pro Series, which was open wheel car racing, as the BMW. But it was very easy to get in one car from one car into the other. It was somehow the way they, the power to weight ratio, the way they gripped. I mean, it said a lot about the BMWs that they, they felt similar to the Barber Dodge Pro Series car. But um, yeah, it was, it was probably some of the most fun racing memories I have. You uh, had an opportunity to kind of uh, try out for the uh, Deutsche Tourenmeisterschaft, the uh, DTM series. Tell us a little bit about that. I think we got about four or five minutes left. Okay, yeah, yeah. The DTM series was just, um, at that time, those cars were, were the absolute um, height of technology. I mean, they, they even said, you know, these cars have enough technology in them that we could program them to drive themselves. You know, everything was completely fly-by-wire and like servo driven and wild stuff and after i won the international ferrari challenge runoff in italy in 1996 uh i was invited back two months later in november in the cold at mugello the racing circuit beautiful race circuit and there were 15 of us doing like a driver shootout um and there were guys like nicolo larini he was a very established touring car driver over there um andre the Cesarist, who was a ex Formula One driver, and then you had guys like Ralph Schumacher, as he was still climbing the ranks before he got into Formula One, and um, all kinds of guys. I mean, I, I think I, I set a fairly good lap time, but I never got the call back for some reason. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the 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 scenario there. You were telling me earlier that um, you know you 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 got in a car and your test and qualification was all in one shot, so the pressure was really on. Yeah, well, um, okay, I mean, whether it was the DTM test, which was 15 laps broken into five, and it was just, you know, no reconnaissance laps, the way these guys do it in Europe is, um, you know, they just, you're you're on the stopwatch, and you're on the gas flat out from the second you leave the pit lane. There's no waiting around. In fact, often the way they look at it, you know, they judge you as a talent is, how quick are you right off the bat? Um, because the really good drivers, they don't waste any time, you know, they're um, getting the speed down. And, and so that's what you had to show. You had to show how, how quickly can you get up to speed. And um, that was a big part of it. And when I raced the International F3000 series, it was the same thing. You know, we'd show up on a Friday morning. We would have uh, one practice on Friday afternoon. We would have uh, another practice, which practice qualifying were the same thing. You were qualifying right off the bat. So then you would have another qualifying uh, Saturday morning, and then you'd race Saturday afternoon. So your whole weekend was wrapped into about 36 hours. And many of these tracks I had never seen before. So it was super high pressure, and you had to just be, you had to be mentally trained to be right up to speed and right on the limit 
as fast as you can, could because with the new tires um, being the ultimate, you know, providing the ultimate lap time, you had to set your best lap time while the tires were fresh, you know, in the first two or three laps. And uh, so, you know, at the beginning of every session, everyone was just uh, on it, flat out. It was really, really intense racing, but it really helped raise my game as a driver. That's for sure. Sounds good. Now, today you do what? Today you're involved with a lot of vintage racing, right? Tell us. Uh, we got about two minutes. Yeah, about two minutes left. Okay. Yeah, now I do some vintage racing. Um, I was uh, just sort of fell back into racing by accident, and. Um, a guy back east um, by the name of Larry Ariana has an incredible collection of uh, Italian race cars and, and sedans. And he, uh, my dad actually had done some racing with him in his later years in the vintage stuff. And so I started doing some racing with him, and, and we've just had a terrific run over the last uh, five or six years. Going to Goodwood in England, um, we've raced a, a 1962 Maserati Tipo 151. And that was a built as a purpose-built Le Mans car in 1962. And, and back in the day, it was the fastest car uh, clocked down the Mulzahn Strait. As everyone knows, it was one of the longest straightaways in the world. And it could do over 180 miles an hour. It's a very fast car. And uh, we just recently finished second place in the TT race at the Goodwood Revival, which is their main event. So we were, we were very happy with that. That sounds good. And then one more thing. You got an opportunity to drive with your dad in the Daytona Coupe in one of the Goodwood uh, vintage races, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, in fact, that was one of my first vintage racing experiences. Um, and that was uh, around 1999. We went to the second Goodwood Revival, and Carroll Shelby had built up a, a Cobra Daytona Coupe, and he um, asked if my father and I would race it together at Goodwood, and um, I had never been to Goodwood before. I had never sat in, in uh, that powerful an old race car before, and we had a terrific weekend. Um, my father started the race. It's a two-driver race, and he had to do the first 10 minutes, and um, I think he actually came in about a minute early. He, he was just so ready to get the car handed over to me. And they still let us, of course, go on and finish the race, and I'm certain we won it. Somehow they said, oh, things got mixed up in timing and scoring, and we fin they said that we finished second. But um, I think I lapped the field about twice. I mean, that thing just went like a bomb. <laughs> and, and it was just such a terrific experience to go, uh, you know, do that with my dad. And Carol Shelby. My God, what a, what a legend. What an amazing memory. Hey, Derek, I want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes and hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Reading Cars. We will plug your book and your movie when it comes up. In the meantime, you stay safe. Keep driving. Keep racing. We'll get you back on again. We'll talk about more of this stuff. I want to thank my special guest this evening, Derek Hill, son of the legendary Phil Hill, Formula One champion, American. Hey, in the meantime, I want to tell all my listeners, tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars every week, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Tell your friends. Stay safe. Drive carefully. Love your family. Take care, everybody. WTAM, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.